Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. this morning our Lenten series on sealed in the tomb things Christians should stop doing and we are covering this because there are things that we as Christians do say and do that can cause issues for the entire understanding not only of the church but of Jesus we are ambassadors of Christ and if we carry the name Christian into the world then we need to reflect the very best of Jesus Christ. We don't need Jesus to be tainted by our faults, our sins, and our wayward words. Instead, we need to make sure that we are showing the world just exactly how amazing our God is and what God has been able to do for us, in us, and through us by God's grace and love. And so it is that we are focusing on some things that are barriers, they are inhibitors, they are downright obstacles to the holy task of being a good ambassador for Jesus Christ. And today we're going to talk about triangulation. So for those of you that it's been a little while from uh, geometry, we will talk about that in just a moment. In fact, I was sharing this morning, I took geometry in summer school between my freshman and my sophomore year. I did this because I had some kind of insane thought process where I thought that I wanted to take both calculus AB and BC in high school. Ha ha ha. That was funny. But I did it. So I took algebra my freshman year and then I took summer school geometry and it was myself and one other female and a whole slew of young Korean men. And all of us were taking this to get ahead. That's what we were doing. We were taking geometry to get ahead. Well, today, geometry is going to get us ahead together, and we're going to stick to triangles. So let's see the first triangle. This is a triangle that is equilateral. All three sides are the same. That means that there is an equal connection and an equal distance between all three points that will stand in as people for us this morning. And you'll also be interested to, whoa, hold on, go back. There we go. Thank you. Hold on a second. My son is very excited to go forward. Okay, so we're going to do all three, and this is a symbol for the Trinity. All three persons of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, are co-equal. They are all equally God, equally powerful, equally incredible in our experience with them. And so an equilateral triangle is a way that we can remember the Trinity. Unfortunately, we don't stay that way, which is what you just saw change. Most of the time, if three people are in a relationship together, or if three people are dealing with a conflict together, it very quickly comes askew. And what you'll notice here is that the person, the point down here in the lower right-hand side, is closer to one, farther from the other, and the two that are the farthest apart are on the top there. And that's because very quickly that equilateral triangle could become an isosceles, right, where you have two sides that are equal, but one is getting further apart. The distance is growing between two of the people until you finally get to this scalene, which means that here we are completely thrown off. All the different people have different 
links of connection and relationship with one another. That is not the ideal. Remember, the ideal is always the trinity, right? Equal relationship, equal distance. A healthy equal distance. But here we've gotten to this. And then unfortunately, this will often get to that. We're not even on a triangle anymore, right? Now we're on a line. The two people are as far apart as they can be, and the third one is in the middle almost as a gatekeeper. And maybe you've had this kind of experience where you and someone are very distant right now because you're in a fight, you're in conflict, you're having an argument, who knows what's going on there, and then you invite someone to come and get in the middle, right? I can't talk to her. You talk to her for me. This is a bad idea. You ever played telephone as a kid? How long does it take for that message to get completely obliterated? Right? Usually it only takes one person. And you know when it happens too, right? You can remember playing this. We used to play this in school, especially around uh, lunchtime when we were in the cafeteria. And you'd say it and you could tell that that person didn't get you, right? You're like, oh, it's lost right here. It's not happening. You're like, here's the message. And then you go, did you get it? And they're like, Sure. I'm like, nope, nope, didn't get it. Lost right there. Gone. And you've had this experience. Sometimes you're trying to communicate with somebody and you know that they're not getting it, right? You're trying to communicate and what you are trying to communicate is not being received, heard, understood, appreciated, name any of those. And you can just tell that that's not going to work. In fact, I know this because sometimes I have told somebody something and then they immediately go and go, this is what she said. And I'm like, that is not what I said. That is not what I said. I absolutely did not say that. And then you're like, Jesus, you know what I said. Help me to help others understand what I said, right? To help me. Because if you find yourself in the middle here, that's a bad position. Have you ever found yourself in the middle? And then like you're trying to talk to one and the other one's like, you're on her side. You're like, no, I'm not on her side. Come over here and like, I knew that you were going to take her side. And you're like, that's not what's happening. And then again, you're like, Jesus, help me. Because you are in a position of Jesus. Do not do it. You are not Jesus. Do not do it. Only Jesus can be in that position and not cause more problems. But what are you supposed to do? Because guess what? Jesus in infinite wisdom knew that people in the church, did you catch that? Another member of the church, were going to have problems. Can you imagine that? Two people who bear the name Christ that are part of the body of Christ not getting along? What? Try not to take it personally. It does happen, right? Because we are human beings. We are not perfect. And we will have disagreements. And, you know, and some of the most painful ones are the ones that are unintentional. You weren't trying to offend somebody, and they weren't trying to offend you. But because we are people and our words are not perfect, and sometimes we have moments where our sinfulness rises up in us and inflicts pain and suffering outwardly, even though that's not who we want to be, what we end up finding is that we create positions and issues that invite triangulation. And instead of saying to somebody else, you are not going to believe what she said. Come with me and I'm going to show you. I'm going to get her to repeat it. Come on with me. And we're going to see together how wrong she is. Right? Don't do that. What Jesus says is, when that happens, when you are in a distance from somebody, when there's a brokenness in your relationship, the first thing you should do is go online and write a big nasty Facebook post and tag them in it 
and invite other people to comment about how wrong they are and how hurt you have a right to be. I'm sorry, I missed that in the gospel. Instead, what Jesus says is, the first thing you need to do is go to that person. The first thing you do is go to that person. And that's hard. When you're hurt, when you're upset, when you know somebody else is hurt and upset, when you're both hurt and upset, the last thing you want to do is bring your hurt and your pain together, right? <sighs> but you got to. Because it will never get any better if you don't. It will only get worse. Resist the temptation to put somebody in there. Don't walk up to your friend and be like, look, I need you to be Jesus and I need you to come get in between us. This doesn't work out. Don't do it. Instead, Jesus says you've got to go to the person first. Talk to them. Tell them what has happened. You know, we, the last time we were together, this is how I left feeling. This is what I thought you were saying or what I thought I said. And obviously, this is not right and we need to fix this. We cannot stay this separate. We cannot have this happen. Because guess what? That doesn't just affect the two of you. It affects others, right? If you've ever had a group of friends and two of the friends get into trouble and the whole group's like, well, whose side are you taking? Where are we going? Everybody's like, I'm going to try to stay neutral. Okay. Instead, Jesus says you need to be aware that the first thing you need to do is go to the person. And that is, I will name it, that is hard. But in clergy, when we talk to each other about this, we're like, did you Matthew 18? Did you Matthew 18? Did you go to them? Because don't come to me and complain if you haven't gone to them. Have you done that? Now, it's a lot easier to tell you to go do it than to model it for myself. I will admit that. But this is what we are called to do. Now, sometimes that's not going to work. It's not going to work. You're going to go and you're going to say, you know, this is what's happened and we need, we need to find our way back to each other. We need to figure out how to move beyond this and come back together because that's who we're called to be. Now, and when that happens and you can't quite get there, maybe you come a little bit closer, but you're still not back, then what happens is Jesus says, take one or two others from the church. Don't take your posse. This is not tombstone. Do not show up with the Earp brothers and Doc Holliday. Do not do that. Don't show up with your posse. If you're in the church, then you need to be looking for people that both parties respect, that both parties know are able to listen. And notice it says as witnesses. That's not active participant. You don't come in and be like, well, why are you being all mean to her like this? That's not what you do. You come in, you're asking for somebody to say, will you listen to each other? Will you listen to us? All of us. Listen to what we say and what we don't say verbally. Watch how we're engaging and maybe you can see or understand something that will help us come together. This is mediation. And this is something that is very hard to do. Don't be Jesus if you don't know how. Mediation, though, invites you to watch and to listen and to not be the one talking the most. Do not be the one talking the most. You're supposed to be watching these two people. You're supposed to be listening to both sides because chances are there's a miscommunication that has happened, right? And you're like, when you said that, did you see her face? Say it again and watch what she said. Watch how she looks. When, when she does that, how does it make you feel? That's what you want to be doing. You want to be bringing people, and I say she because I'm a she. Uh, men do this too. We all do this. 
all right? Anybody with any X chromosomes does this. We want to be sure that we're not continuing this because this is not why Jesus died on the cross so that we could perpetuate this sinfulness. That's not why. Instead, Jesus is looking for us to learn to overcome our brokenness together because it's too easy to go, you know what? I'm done with this and I'm cutting it off. It's too easy, right? If the first time you looked at your hand and went, oh, that's aging, I'm cutting it off, you're going to be in trouble, right? This is no good anymore, right? We're just going to get, no. Do you know what you do when you start to look at your hands and you're like, these aren't looking so good anymore? You start using oil of Olay. You start using stuff, you're like, we're just going to get a little lotion on here and see if that can fix it. You know, we, we work at it. You don't just lop your hand off because you're used to having your two hands. And then when you get rid of one, you're going to have some trouble later. And relationships are the same way. If you start simply cutting off your relationships, you're going to have trouble. You can't do that. The first time you sinned after you believed in salvation by Jesus Christ, Jesus didn't go, all right, you're done, you're out. No, Jesus was like, okay, let's go back to the beginning. <laughs> let's try again and again. And we are the same way. So if you, Matthew 18, and you go to the person and it doesn't resolve, or you can't be reconciled, then you bring one or two other people who are not already in your corner to come and to listen as witnesses, right? And to offer some of their insight. Insight is not advice. Insight is not advice. That's what you're looking for, somebody who can be insightful, not somebody who's going to incite more trouble, right? You don't want to do that. Instead, you're looking for somebody that can illuminate what's happening. And then, God forbid that doesn't work, sometimes you have to bring it to, we need a judicial decision. We need to weigh in. Is this the way we're going to be? What are our priorities going to be? This week, uh, this past week, I was in Richmond, and I was sitting with the Board of Ordained Ministry interviewing candidates who were seeking to become provisional. Provisional is that last step before ordination. You enter into a beautiful three-year waiting process where you come before us and you interview and you say, here are the tools in my toolbox. This is what I have. I've gained them from seminary. I've gained them from experience. I've gained them from training exercises. Here are my tools. And then we look at it and we go, that looks like a good set of tools. Now you have three years to show us what you will build. And then they come back before us, and then we, they say, this is what I built. And we go, okay, we're going to work on your angles. We're going to work a little on your leveling, but you know, then we start making decisions for them. So they were coming before us, and one of the candidates shared how hard it is to be triangulated. And shared that even in a position of pastoral authority, that you can get triangulated, and was able to share with us this opportunity to play out Matthew 18, First, going to the person and talking to the person, then bringing some outside mediation in to try to help both sides work through it, but it wasn't working. In fact, it was getting worse. And so what this candidate had to do, and this is not easy when you are in a clergy role, this candidate finally had to go and get the judicial decision from the church. Because now the relationship was at a point that it was going to either destroy the church or the church was going to overcome. And nobody wants to be in that position. And so this candidate shared, you know, we did it. And at the end, the church said, this is, this is who we are. This is our mission. This is the vision that is helping us to fulfill this mission. And this is where we feel called to go. And if you can't join us on this journey, then maybe our time together stops here. 
that's a hard thing to realize that your body of Christ is going this way and you don't want to go. And so this candidate shared working through that and the candidate had come to peace with what had happened because the church ultimately made their decision but it resulted in the other person leaving the church, that body, leaving that body. And I will never forget the candidate said, I hope that they have found a new family. I hope that they have found a place that it will go in the direction that they want to go. And that eventually we will all come together again in the kingdom. Now that was one of the most grace-filled things I heard articulated. That was a beautiful thing. Sometimes we have to go this way and come back together again later. But they went through the process of Matthew 18 and that family of faith. And that, at the end of the day, they could rest knowing that they had done everything that they could do. You know, I preached this sermon at 9 o'clock, and then immediately I met in the narthex afterwards. Well, you know, I tried that on my sibling. You know, or, you know, like, hey, we're just trying this right now in my circle of friends. I know you are. I know that you are thinking about this. And you have to do it. Because you know what happens if you don't? It's that failure to seek and work toward reconciliation now becomes your heart's default. If you do it once, it becomes easier to do it again and again and again. And then you become a person that is more comfortable with the brokenness than the seeking of the reconciliation. It's not easy. Don't think it's going to be easy. Reconciliation is not easy. But sometimes we have to take up our cross and follow Jesus because reconciliation is hard work. Now, sometimes you have events where you can see that the reconciliation is going to be possible. We're just going to have to work our way through it. So I got permission from my son this morning to tell this story from his preschool days. I was like, hey, I want to tell this story. How do you feel about it? And he was like, okay. So here it is. When my son was four and in preschool, he had a friend named Jack. Now, Jack and Luke were very alike in a lot of ways. So they were more like this than this. <laughs> they liked to play with each other for a time, and then it got like this. So what happened was preschool was over and my office was there in the, in the preschool of the church. And so Luke had come down and Jack had come down with his mother because his mother and I were having a conversation. And Luke and Jack started to keep themselves busy by playing in my office. They decided the best way to keep themselves busy and play would be to spin around in my chair. And so they started to do this and they were taking turns. You'll be very proud to know they were taking turns, practicing, you know, centrifugal force and gravity and all kinds of great physics for preschoolers. And they were spinning around and spinning around and one would spin and the other one would spin the, church, right? spin the chair around faster and faster. And what happened was Luke hit critical mass before Jack. So Luke said, stop, Jack, I'm done. And Jack didn't hear it, chose to ignore it, thought maybe Luke is kidding or maybe we can just work through this. We'll just keep at it and we'll come out on the other side and Luke will be like, oh, I'm so glad that we kept at that because I'm not queasy anymore. I don't know what Jack thought. I'm not in his head. But all I know is that I heard Luke, you know, because that mom thing you do where you're like, oh, I hear him. I hear him saying stop. And then all of a sudden I hear, stop! That's it! You sinned against me! Whoa, time out. Time out. <laughs> Time out for bad theology. <laughs> Time out. I was like, okay, whoa, hold on. Calm down, calm down. I was like, Let, let's take a moment here, okay? I was like, Luke, what is happening? He's like, I didn't want to do that anymore. It doesn't feel good. It's fair, right? That's his personal experience. It doesn't feel good. He's not going to go be an astronaut, 
right? Doesn't feel good to spin around and have no gravity. Didn't like it. Instead, Jack was like, well, I like that. Okay, that's fair. But you know what? When he tells you to stop, you have to stop, right? Because you're friends and you don't want to make him, do you really, trust me, you don't want to keep doing that till, right? You don't want to do that. You want to stop. You want to stop before we get to the point of purging. That's always a good place to stop. And so Jack was like, okay. But it took a moment to navigate that, right? Like you have to listen to what he's saying and then you have to respond. And then Jack, you know, got it. And Jack was like, okay, I'm sorry. And Luke was like, all right, I forgive you. And then they found something more appropriate to play with than my office chair, right? Try again, try different. And so that's what happened. But when I was telling this story this morning to Luke about how I was going to tell it, Luke wanted it to go into a different story. Luke wanted to go into a story about, he goes, hey, do you remember when I used to, you used to put me in timeout? And I was like, oh, yes, I remember, right? You remember when you put your kid in timeout. And he's like, yeah, you remember you used to call it something. And I said, yes, I used to call it purgatory. <laughs> I used to call it purgatory, and this is doctrinally and theologically correct. I used to call it that because I put him in purgatory, the second step, in order that he might stop, calm down, think about what he was doing, and get in a place where we could have a conversation about why that was a problem, right? In Catholic terms, you are working out your sin, right? Very, very accurate. And he goes, why did you stop calling it that? And I said, I stopped calling it that because you told another kid in the preschool who happened to be Catholic who told his mom, and she didn't find it as funny as I did. <laughs> so we stopped. But... Do you notice that in one of the stories, Luke was the victim, and in the other story, he was a perpetrator? He recognizes that we're on both sides. We are both sinners and saints. We are those who confront our mortality, our frailness, our fragility. We focus on the fact that we do things that break God's heart, break our own hearts, and break the hearts of others. We know what sin looks like because we have been there. And then we are also those saints. We have glimpsed the glory of forgiveness. We know what it is to be granted grace and to have God say, your relationship with me is more important than my being right that you were wrong. And so I will forgive you and set you free to try again and again and again. And because of that, we recognize that at any given moment, we are walking a tightrope or a balance beam, whichever metaphor you like better, and you can easily drift too far to one or the other. You don't want to go back to being a full-time sinner. Right? That's not going to end well. But you also don't want to be so far into the saint that you forget that people struggle with sin. You've got to be kind of close and walk that line, which is what God did for us in Christ Jesus. Showed us that you can be a light in the world, even in a world that is filled with sin, death, and suffering. And we are called to mirror that, to reflect it. But we're not perfect. We're not going to do it right all the time. And so Matthew 18. Matthew 18. But it's important because how you respond to a rift in relationship speaks volumes about your theology, about your doctrine if you're a Methodist who believes in grace. It speaks volumes about how you feel about another person. So all of us could probably think of at least one human being that we need to go Matthew 18 with. You can probably think of one. 
And imagine if when you finally got the strength, the courage, the conviction to go and meet with that person, and please meet with that person. Don't do it by email. Don't do it by any kind of text or instant message. Don't, don't do that kind of stuff. Don't do it, well, I mean, if you have to do it in a letter, do it in a letter. But really, face-to-face is important because you are speaking things with your face and your presence and your body language that are powerful. And they, sometimes people need to see that that you really are hurting because of the brokenness and that you love them. And so imagine that you invite Christ to come because let me tell you, when you go, you don't go alone. God goes with you. And when you invite Christ into that moment, the best way to do that is to pray. Can you imagine if you got to meet with that person and you started with a prayer and in that prayer it wasn't God fix her, she's broken. Don't pray that, not a good call. Instead, what if you prayed about God, I want to give you thanks for bringing us here together because I have missed her. I remember how much we accomplished together for the glory of your kingdom. I remember how deeply we laughed and enjoyed one another in our time. I can remember, Lord, that our relationship filled us up so much that we overflowed with blessings for others. And I'm so grateful to just lay eyes on her again. And I know that I am not perfect, Lord, and I know that I have contributed to this rift, and I'm asking for your forgiveness, and I'm asking for hers. And I pray that your spirit will be at work to help us figure out how to be reconciled. Imagine what kind of conversation you would have if you prayed something like that together. And that's the difference. A Christian who is trying to live out Matthew 18 is going to be focused on trying to figure out how to get that relationship back. It's not about being right. You have a choice at the end of every day. Were you right or were you righteous? Right? Now, you can say to Jesus later, you know what, Jesus, you know I was right. I, you were there. You heard me. You know I was right. And Jesus is going to say it's not about being right. What happened to Jesus on the cross was not right. Hadn't done anything to deserve that. But instead, Jesus said, you are so important to me. I want to be in right relationship with you. I want all of you to be in right relationship with one another, that I am willing to sacrifice being right that you might be righteous. And when you choose relationship over being proven and declared right, you are starting to get into that glorious promised land called righteous. Because it's not about you. It's about us. We are in this together. That's hard because some of us, we like being right. Oh, that feels good, doesn't it? Being right feels good. Right? When somebody's like, you know what? You were right. You were like, yes, right? I was right. Thank you. All right, what were you saying? You know, you have to have your little moment. But instead, the righteous person goes, you know, I appreciate you saying that, but, you know, let's, let's keep moving forward together. That's great. Let's keep going. And even as clergy, we do this, you know, and what's the wor- there's nothing more embarrassing than when you're talking to one of your colleagues and they're like, did you Matthew 18? You were like, no, I called the DS and I tried to get him to Matthew 18. We do it too. But we are not those people, right? We're not here to manipulate. And if you've ever had somebody manipulate you into a triangular relationship that is not Trinitarian and holy, then you know that you don't want that. You don't want to be manipulated. How many of you got up this morning like, ooh, I hope I get manipulated today? No. 
In fact, most of us are angry at somebody because we were manipulated. And then you're like, you know what? You were trying to manipulate me and your perversion of Matthew 18, and now we need the Matthew 18. And you know, you know you're going to get to the point where you know, someone's going to see you in the church and be like, how are you today? And you're going to be like, I had to Matthew 18. They're going to be like, oh, God love you. God, how did it go? Because it's not easy, but you got to do it. That's the hard spiritual work that we do as Christians. Because it's too easy to be like, unfriend, block. It's too easy. And God has never done that to you. God has never blocked you. God has never even taken a break from you. God has never unfriended you. God has constantly said, we need to work on this. Come here. <laughs> Come here. Let us work on this. That's why every year Good Friday comes. Because every year God says, today is our day. We're going to Matthew 28 today. Knowing that Matthew 28 is coming. Matthew 28 where Jesus gathers those disciples together. And they can't still, they don't all agree with each other. In fact, some of them are not even agreeing with what Jesus is doing. But you know what Jesus says? I am leaving. And I am leaving this world in your care. And Jesus in utter brilliance says to them and all of us who have read it since I want you to go forth and make disciples baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit the healthy triangle and teach them all that I have taught you and what did Jesus teach us? Matthew 18 you gotta try to be reconciled this is a world where brokenness has dire deathly consequences. You are seeing it on the news right now. Brokenness can kill people. And it won't just kill people right now in bombings and in air raids. It will kill generations who will live out that pain and suffering. Brokenness has worldly real effect. Now, some of you are very bright, and you're going, how does my being in a broken relationship with my sister have anything to do with what's happened in the Ukraine? Fair question. But don't you think that when we as Christians practice what we preach and we live out what Jesus taught us, that something happens in the world, that the world gets a little brighter, gets a little bit more heavenly? And that carries. In the pandemic, we spent all this time talking about all the negative things people carry. We're germ carriers, right? You can spread superbugs all over the world. And that happens because people move. We travel. So if somebody who came to visit you experienced the glory of God in you and your willingness to be righteous rather than right, they're going to take that out into the world. And they're going to say, you know, I met this person and they showed me something amazing. Come on back in, guys. And if you don't think that it matters, you're teaching whether you know it or not. You're showing by your life the example of Jesus Christ. So for some of us, we've got some difficult work ahead. Because for some of us, we were just reminded of a rift that we have tried to put aside. And we know we've got to do some work. And I'll say this. Here's why you've got to do some work. Because I believe that God is brilliant. 
I believe that God is able to put us in positions where you're like, seriously, God? Seriously? So let me paint for you a possibility. You get to the kingdom of heaven. It's that first meal there. We're all sitting down for Holy Communion with Jesus. And we're like, this is great. And then you see who God sits next to you. And you're like, I didn't think I'd see you here. And they're like, that's funny. I didn't think I'd see you here either. (laughs) But here you are. And that's going to be a long meal. A long meal. Have the experience where you get to heaven and you go, so glad we did that Matthew 18 thing. Because <laughs> God says there's many rooms. God doesn't say you aren't going to have a roommate. Right? Absolutely. So yes, the work is important. Because we can't do the things that we see in the world. We cannot model permanent brokenness. We can't decide that a person is worth writing off. Do you notice that that decision was left to the discernment of the body of Christ, the church? That was intentional. Because we are too close and emotional. We are too driven to be right. But the body needs to be righteous. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.